0: Good morning, Orangewood. I will be reading Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, one whom the king, my father, brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of God is of God's is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they cannot show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretations, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him their interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship, greatness and glory and majesty. He was fed grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this, but you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk from them, wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Meany, Meany, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Meany, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old.
1: Thank you, Ellie. That is not only a really long passage, but it is full of Aramaic words that she had to pronounce, and I think she did a great job with that. Um, It's very good to be with you this morning. I haven't been here in a while because my wife Brandy and I had a baby, Jude, and he's gonna be six weeks old tomorrow. Um, And my daughter Lucy turned two a few weeks ago, and this was the first Easter that she really understood anything that was going on. So we, we gave her some candy and we did an Easter egg hunt for her. And I didn't know if she would really get it, but she loved it. She loved the Easter egg hunt more than the candy or anything like that. But the only problem is now, every time we go in the backyard, she hands me her Easter basket and she wants to find eggs. of course there aren't any eggs because nobody's hidden the eggs and so she'll give me her basket and it has probably 14 or 15 eggs in it and I'll be like Lucy do you see one over there and when she's looking that way I'm like chucking eggs behind me like and then when she finds it I act surprised like oh you found one great job Lucy well I think that she thinks that there's some kind of magic going on she doesn't realize that I'm just chucking behind her every time she puts it back in the basket But I thought, wouldn't it be surprising if one morning I woke up and there were eggs all over our backyard? And I mean, at first I would probably think there's got to be some logical conclusion here. Someone's playing a joke. Someone snuck in our yard. But what if, just like in Daniel 5, I saw a disembodied hand dropping eggs all over the yard? I wouldn't have any categories for that. And I'd be trying to figure it out, I'd be trying to figure out the answers. And what I have thought about is in ancient Babylon, where today's passage takes place, they settle for all kinds of counterfeit gods and the wise men, the astrologers, all these people are kind of like distracting them and throwing eggs and saying, look, it's magic. But then all of a sudden something truly miraculous happens, something that they don't have categories for. And they need answers, just like our world needs answers. So let's pray and we'll dive into Daniel chapter five. God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be able on a public platform to open your word and talk about you and proclaim the name of Jesus. I pray through Daniel five that you would speak to us, that you would give us the spirit of wisdom, not the spirit of the world. And we pray all these things in the Holy name of Christ. Amen. So in verse one, it says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his Lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. And as a reminder, the setting is Babylon because Daniel and many of his friends were taken captive. They were forced to leave their home in Israel to go live in Babylon. So they're exiles. And all the stories that have happened in Daniel up to this point have been in Babylon and the king has been King Nebuchadnezzar. But all of a sudden in chapter one, it changes. All of a sudden we hear about King Belshazzar without any explanation of who he is or what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. And for a long time, Historians and biblical scholars couldn't find any record of a King Belshazzar outside of the Bible. So many of them concluded that it was either an error or it was a folk legend or something that was made up just to prop this story up. Because many of the biblical scholars who teach in universities don't really believe the prophecies of scripture anyway. Even some of them claim to be Christians, but they try to make prophecy and scripture sound logically and historically palatable. So they say things like, Well, Jesus couldn't have known that the temple was going to be destroyed. So that must have been added later. Or Daniel couldn't have known about the fall of Babylon. So that must have been added later. But it's odd to me that you can believe in a sovereign God who created everything from nothing, but you can't believe that he would speak a word of prophecy through a human being or that he would preserve his own word. One of my heroes of the faith is the theologian, John Frame. He was one of my professors in seminary, and he was talking about what it's like being a theologian and a philosopher um, in an academic setting. And he said something, and I wrote it down because it was so profound, and I think about it often. He said, trying to make Christianity respectable is an occupational hazard. In a couple of weeks, we're gonna be starting a new sermon series on Proverbs, And we'll see that there's a big difference between the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. In the wisdom of the world, historians and biblical scholars couldn't make sense of King Belshazzar, so they wrote it off. Here's why. The last recorded king in most of the history books, uh, the ancient history books, was a guy named Nabonidus. But in the 1800s, there was a text that was uh, translated And it spoke about a son that Nabonidus had called Belshazzar. And see, Nabonidus had been absent from the capital city. So for the last 10 years before the fall of Babylon, Belshazzar acted as a co-regent. So even though he wasn't technically a king, everyone called him king because he lived at the palace and did things that the king did. And also it mentions in this passage Belshazzar being the son of Nebuchadnezzar, but it really just means the successor of Nebuchadnezzar. It's kind of like when we call Jesus a son of David. It means he's a successor to the throne. But this means a couple things. It means, first of all, that we can trust this, that we can be sure that scripture is true, that it's not just some folk legend that's made up. But it's also significant for our story today because it means that a long time has passed between chapter four and chapter five. You might remember that a few weeks ago, Chuck told us that when Daniel and his friends were first uh, taken captive, they were about 17 years old. But here in chapter five, Daniel is almost 80. And I want you to think about that. He has spent far more of his life in exile than he ever did at home. Maybe he doesn't even remember what home is like. I'm sure for those first few years, he was thinking I just got to push through this and then things are going to get back to normal, but things never got back to normal. and In fact, um, from what we can tell from the book of Ezra and the book of Daniel, Daniel never got to go back home. As we continue looking at this story, I want you to ask not only how can I be like Daniel, but how am I like Daniel? And Right now, even without jumping too far into this story, we're all like Daniel because we're not home. This isn't the home that we long for. We're foreigners, we're strangers. We, will, we long to be in the new heavens and the new earth, in the presence of the Lord. We long for the day that there is no disease, that there is no suffering and mourning, but we don't know how long we'll have to wait for that. And right now, specifically right now, we're like Daniel because our normal has been flipped upside down by COVID-19. In a sense, we've all been taken captive by this thing. And we don't know when things are going to get back to normal or if they will get back to normal. So, my prayer and encouragement to us is that, like Daniel, even in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of exile, that we remain faithful to the one true God, trusting His moving even when it doesn't feel like, it doesn't seem like He is. So, let's look at verse 1 again. It says, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. This feast was probably a morale booster to key officials in Babylon. And here's why. Cyrus the Persian was already starting to gain ground against Babylon. In fact, we know from other histories that just a few days before this, King Belshazzar's very father had lost ground to this king. So You could say that the writing was on the wall for Babylon, but that would be a cheesy dad joke, so I'm not gonna say that. It's really weird cracking a joke when you don't know if anybody's laughing or not. Um, So I want you to think about how foolish this is. A massive world power is invading your country and you've already lost some territory to it. And so you gather all the leaders, that first part's probably what you need to do, but then you throw a huge party and get trashed? See, Belshazzar right off the bat is being portrayed as foolish, but partying isn't the worst of what he does. Continue reading with me in verse two. It says, Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, be brought, that the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. So it would be easy to think, Maybe if Belshazzar hadn't called for the golden vessels, everything would have ended differently. Like maybe there was something um, sacred or even cursed about these vessels and that's what made it go wrong. But it's not the golden vessels that are sacred. In Matthew 23, Jesus calls out the Pharisees for swearing by the gold in the temple. And he says, you blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? See, it's not the golden vessels that are sacred. It's the God of the temple that they came from that makes them sacred. So what Belshazzar did next was far worse than drinking from the golden vessels. It says, he praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Belshazzar praises the material that the vessels are made from. He praises elements. He has chosen his God. And I realized that today, We're a long distance and a long time away from the people at those feasts. And so to us, it hits us as almost kind of silly that someone would worship wood or bronze. But I wanna suggest that we do worship silly things. When we think of worship, we typically think of what happens in this room, like singing songs to God. Or maybe when I say worship, you think of a genre of music. But if I told you about a guy who's in love with his girlfriend, and I said, man, he worships her, you would immediately know what I'm talking about. No one would think that that means that he's sitting in front of a wall with words projected on it that he's singing. It means that he thinks about her, that he talks about her, that he talks to her, that he daydreams about her and doodles her name on his notebook. We understand that intuitively. If you trace the trail of his thoughts and his time and his resources, They all point to the one that he worships. So in that sense, we all worship false gods. If you trace your time, your energy, your thoughts, where do they lead? I think the God of our culture is human autonomy, human achievement. But even for us who are Christians who don't put human autonomy before God. Many of us worship our cell phones. We worship something that can fit in the palm of our hands. We don't actually bow down and worship it as if it's a God, but in some sense, we look to it for salvation, to fulfill our deepest longings. And we think things like, if I could just get a few more likes, if I could just find the right angle and the right filter, if I could just get this girl to text me back, if I could just find this cheaper somewhere else, If I could just answer a few emails before bed, if I could just find the funniest cat video, if I could just find the most stimulating pornographic image, then what? Then it might give us some escape, some reprieve from our stress, from our boredom, from ourselves. But it's only temporary. And when you step back and see it for what it is, it's silly. It's just like worshiping bronze or wood. And so we have to ask God to show us our hearts, to show us our idols, just like Jack read Psalm 139 earlier, God show us our hearts. Most of us already know if we really think about it, what our idols are, but the answer isn't throw your phone into the lake or delete all your social media. I mean, that could be what God's leading you to do, but the problem usually isn't the good gifts that God gives us. It's that we confuse the gifts with he who gives it. And I always think 1 Corinthians 10:31 is a good grid to run things through. 1 Corinthians 10:31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So whether you drink from golden vessels or you post to Instagram, do it all for the glory of God. But if there's anything that you put your hand to that you can't do for the glory of God... It's probably not worth doing. Let's get to the handwriting on the wall. Verse 5 says Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. We don't get a lot of details about what this hand looks like. I don't know what you picture when you think of the hand. Maybe you picture a little mark-sized hand like this, or maybe you picture a huge God-sized hand, but we don't get to know. In fact, from the text, it's not even clear, clear whether only King Belshazzar saw it or whether everyone saw it. But what is clear is that it freaked him out. Maybe he thought he had drunk too much, but it got his attention. Verse 6 says, Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. So three times in the story, it mentions the king's color changing, which was more than just saying he was blushing. It was saying he was scared to the point that it was making him sick. And the ESV politely translates this passage to say, Belshazzar's limbs gave way. But that Hebrew expression, what it actually means is something like, He pooped his pants. That's right. So we've all like said some version of the expression, oh, that scared the poop out of me, or oh, I thought I was gonna poop my pants. But has that ever actually happened to you? If it has, I'm gonna need to hear that story. So maybe you can shoot me an email later this week. But that actually happened to Belshazzar. He's freaked out and he needs answers. He needs to know what this writing says. And so he called the best and brightest according to the wisdom of his culture. And he said, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. So why the third ruler in the kingdom? Well, remember, he's the son of the king. So he already is the second ruler in the kingdom. So the next thing that he could offer anyone would be third ruler in the kingdom. So he wanted the interpretation so badly that he'd give that kind of power to any old rando who could come give the interpretation. But of course, none of his wise men could give the interpretation because their wisdom was the wisdom of the world, was the wisdom of Babylonian culture, not the wisdom of God. It's just like the biblical scholars and historians who approach God's word today with the wisdom of the world And think that they can approach the word of God just like it's any old book or any old collection of writings. The writing won't make any sense through those lenses. In verse 10 though, the queen enters the scene and gives some good advice to Belshazzar. The queen must not have been Belshazzar's wife because in verse three, it's very clear that all of his wives and concubines are there with him. So probably the queen means his mom. And this is what his mom says. There's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And she goes on to tell Belshazzar how Daniel used to interpret dreams, explain riddles and solve problems for King Nebuchadnezzar. So Belshazzar calls for Daniel and tells him, I've heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. And again, Belshazzar tells Daniel that if he can interpret the writing, he'll give him the purple and the gold and he'll make him the third ruler. And in verse 17, Daniel gives what I think is the most subversive, punk rock, cool response that he could have possibly given to the king. He says, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. See, Daniel doesn't value what that culture values. He's not interested in that kingdom because he knows who the true king is. But so that God, the true authority may be glorified, he interprets the writing on the wall. But before he does, he gives Belshazzar a history of God's authority in hand in the history of Babylon. He says, The Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And see, Nebuchadnezzar was world-renowned. He had built this massive empire. He was very wealthy and he was very innovative. Everyone knew who King Nebuchadnezzar was. And Daniel's saying, the Most High God gave all that to him. But he took it all away again when Nebuchadnezzar got too big for his britches. You might remember last week, Peach... He preached on Daniel four, where Nebuchadnezzar kind of looked at everything that he had done and he said, that's me. I did all that. And Nebuchadnezzar was driven from among men and lived like an animal. And here Daniel tells Belshazzar that Nebuchadnezzar was like this until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. He doesn't just rule Jerusalem. He doesn't just rule a temple. He doesn't just rule even Babylon. He rules the kingdom of mankind. And with this, Daniel shifts the spotlight onto Belshazzar. In verse 22, Daniel says, and you, his son, Belshazzar have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. See, this is crazy. He knew all this. It might be easy to think up to this point that maybe he didn't know the stories of Daniel or he didn't know about the God of Israel. But Daniel says, you knew all this and you still chose to drink out of the golden vessels. You knew all this and you still chose to worship wood over the most high God. Daniel says, you've praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. So then Daniel proceeds to interpret the writing. And as Maggie told us in her O-Kids lesson, there were four words inscribed on the wall, mene, mene, tekel, and parson. Most of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, but these are Aramaic words because that was the common language in Babylon. And there's part of me that wants to geek out and talk about Hebrew and Aramaic writing systems because it pulls some cool things out, but I'd probably be the only one who cared about that. But I will tell you this, all of these words are nouns and they're nouns for units of money. And they go down in denomination until the last one is like a half shekel or something like that. So it would be kind of like if he said, dollar, dollar, quarter, half penny. But then Daniel takes the noun roots of these words and he turns them into verbs. And when he turns them into verbs, they mean numbered, numbered, weighed, and divided. So the first word, many, mene, however you wanna say it, is repeated for emphasis. And God has numbered the days of the kingdom and brought it to an end. The second word, tekel, is a word of judgment on Belshazzar you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And the last word, parson, sounds like the Aramaic for both divided and the Aramaic for Persia, who is going to take over the Babylonian empire. So the writing on the wall was doom for both Belshazzar and his kingdom. And we have to assume that he believed that Daniel gave the correct interpretation because immediately after that, despite Daniel telling him not to, Belshazzar gave the command and gave Daniel the purple clothes and the gold chain and he made a proclamation that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom but clearly Belshazzar didn't get it because there was no kingdom to be third in the kingdom was divided and sure enough that very night Belshazzar was killed and Darius the Mede took control so I want you to think if the kingdom had just fallen with no handwriting and no interpretation, it could have been chalked up to human effort, right? Um, they could have just looked at it and said, well, the Medes and the Persians had great military tactics, and Belshazzar didn't do a good defend- job defending, and so that's why the empire fell. But because of the handwriting on the wall and its interpretation, it was clear to everyone that heard it that God was behind this thing, that he was acting, that he was moving, because he said it was gonna happen before it happened. But think how different this story would be if there had been no Daniel. Think how different the story would be if no one had come to interpret the writing. What if Daniel had hated the Babylonians and said, I'm not interpreting that for you Or what if he had been scared and just stayed home and said, I'm just going to let them figure it out. As we ask ourselves what this story has to do with us, I hope that we can see Daniel's example. One who doesn't get distracted by what distracts our culture and one who doesn't worship the false gods, but worships the one true God. But I also want us as Christians to see how we are Daniel to our world. Look back at what Queen the Queen said about Daniel in verse 11. She said, there's a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Christians, this is you and me, one in whom lives the spirit of the holy God. Jesus Christ died on a cross to pay for our pride, our idolatry, our fear, our hurtfulness, our sin. He died for the sins of all of those who put their faith in him. He died and rose again to rescue us and not just give us a momentary escape, like a glass of wine or like a video game or like binging something on Netflix. He came to set us free for all eternity. And to those of us who call Jesus Lord, he has given the spirit of the Holy God. See, our salvation, isn't something to be hoarded because we didn't do anything to earn it and we're not supposed to hunker down and wait for the afterlife while the world falls apart around us. There's a message that God has for the entire world the message of Jesus Christ, and only we who have the Spirit are able to interpret it. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we might impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for their folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. Can you fathom that? We have the mind of Christ because we have the mind of Christ because we have the spirit of God. All the things the queen said about Daniel is also true of us. We have knowledge and understanding. We can explain riddles and solve problems. We are to interpret the Word of God to a lost world. But if we value what the culture values, we'll keep our mouths shut. If what we want most is to be liked, or to be popular, or to be respected, if what we want is the gold chains and the purple clothes, we'll keep our mouths shut. If what we want is for all of them to pay and get what they deserve, we'll keep our mouths shut. But if we believe that our God is the only hope for salvation and we have compassion for the lost, then we'll speak the the interpretation, we'll speak the truth, whether that means we get a reward or whether that means we get thrown into a furnace. In a culture that's increasingly apathetic towards the wisdom of God at best and hostile toward it at worst, and at a time when the entire world is thrown into chaos and is vitally aware we are not in control, let us speak the words of truth to the world. And let us speak those words humbly and boldly. Let us speak them with love pray with me. Holy God, you are wisdom. You are wise in ways that we can't fathom. And because of nothing I've done, nothing I could ever do, but because of the love of Jesus Christ, you have given us wisdom. Lord, would you give us hope in the darkness? Would you give us boldness? in the face of what be, may be unpopular, in the face of what even caused persecution. May we speak truth. May we interpret the word, the word made flesh for a world who is hurting and in deep need of answers. And for anyone who's listening this morning, who doesn't know Jesus as Lord, I pray that you would give them the spirit of truth to stop worshiping idols that can't save them and turn to the one true God. And we ask all of these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.